Hey, this is Tanner Sherlock. I'm the pastor at Shadow State Chi Alpha. And this is our podcast where our mission is to make disciples who then make disciples. Be sure and subscribe so you can get our content every time we post. And I pray that this message blesses you today. God bless. Hey, welcome to the podcast today. Today, uh, kind of kind of a fun topic for me that uh, maybe I have a little bit too much fun with. Um, I Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about end-time prophecies. Um, just going from what are some big end-time prophecies versus uh, also... Um, how much time and energy we should spend on those end time prophecies. Um, I was kind of messing around with Bard, which is uh, Google's version of chat GPT. Um, also, so <laughs> I've been seeing some people posting about how don't mess with Bard, don't mess with chat GTP, because it's just a way for the demonic to have a conversation with you or something like that. And, uh, you know, I think that's... Um, I do think that that is an important thing to remember while you talk to, um, AI. Um, I mean, certainly the demonic could influence things like that. Um, however, I think that their influence would come more in the form of manipulating the coding than it would be to, you know, actually conversate with you. I think, um, I think the demonic really, I mean, they can just have a conversation with people, you know, like, uh, through, Ouija boards and stuff like that. I don't think they're messing around with, and I could be wrong, but maybe I don't think they're messing around with, um, having conversations with people, but maybe they could. And so I think as Christians, it's important for us to remember that, but not be afraid of technology. There's so often that, um, Christians were so scared of advancement. We're so scared of growth. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think of, um, when, uh, the churches were afraid to bring pianos into the church because pianos were really only played in like honky tonk bars and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden the piano became a mainstay and, and then the church was afraid to go to full bands because, you know, full, full bands would be indicative of, of the enemy. And then, you know, it, 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 it gets silly. Um, sometimes when we're so afraid of growth and we're so afraid of, um, advancement that we hide in tradition. Um, I think it's important for us as Christians to remember that tradition uh, is not the same thing as biblical standards, just because we have the tradition of, you know, let's say, um, we have the tradition of how we take communion. So one church can have everybody line up at the front in order to take communion and another church can have, um, it already preset in front of you. Um, we can get so used to the tradition of it that we begin to think that, Oh, well it must be biblical for us to stand up in line and go and receive commission or, uh, um, go and receive communion together. And we can begin to, put traditions on the same line as biblical truth. And that's a dangerous place for us as Christians to do because, um, and especially here in America, I've, I, I don't know if, you know, I can't speak worldwide because I haven't been to the worldwide church, but I do know in America, you know, I've been part of many churches that, um, have, have literally split because of tradition, because of the, the carpet color, because 
the church wants to start playing, you know, more modern music because the church wants to, to move away from hymns because, you know, there's so many things that it's, it's absolutely silly for us to cause a church split over. But yet here in America, we see that regularly and that's not a good thing because the Bible, the one thing I can say that is biblical truth is that Jesus says that the world will know us by the way we love each other. Um, is it really loving each other to flip out about the kind of worship that other people like to, um, how they like to worship God? Um, now that's not saying that we can be heretical in our worship. However, where is that line of heresy? Is that line of heresy in biblical truth or is that line in heresy in tradition? We have to be very careful as we get older. You know, we see it in, in just our music. The, the thought process is always, oh, the, the newest generation's music is so terrible. I just I miss my, my generation of music. Well, your generation of music was just a little different than their generation of music. Um, but really the, the generations of music seem to just repeat themselves. If you go and look at, at how many, uh, songs just reuse old beats and then put new lyrics to it. Um, we always prefer the one that existed during our generation. Um, and so that proves to me that we tend to favor tradition in a way that's unhealthy. It's, I know that's a crude example, but, um, or a rough example. Um, but we really do love tradition. Um, almost to the point where it's, it can become toxic. Toxic tradition is the, the bread and butter of how the enemy likes to destroy the church. Toxic tradition is, man, you want to destroy a church tradition. Tradition will destroy a church so much faster than heresy. It seems like now that's not to say that heresy doesn't destroy churches because it does. We can see that. And oh goodness, there's been an, a lot in the headlines. You can just go to YouTube and, and type heretical preaching and you can come up with a laundry list of preachers, but you go to, um, YouTube and type in toxic tradition, um, teaching, um, and, and you're not going to come up with anything because it's, it's not on the radar. We're not looking for toxic traditional um, beliefs. We're looking for heresy, but both are heresy. Um, and anyway, I'm kind of on a rabbit trail, but so don't fear technology, but be conscious <laughs> of where technology is taking us. Um, you know, be on your guard. Always stand on your guard. Scripture tells us to be on our guard about things. Um, however, we're also not to fear things. And so, um, I do like, uh, Bard, I do like chat GPT. It helps me to come up with ideas on days where I'm really struggling to come up with ideas for this podcast, for sermons, for, um, small group. It helps me to just, and in, not in a way that I have it write it for me, because I don't think that's healthy. Um, I think that's lazy. I think that's a way for us to get out of actually spending time with God and spending time in the Bible and learning things. However, I do use it for, uh, topic choices and helping me to come up with stuff. And so today I was kind of looking at it and I was, um, asking it to give me, um, ideas and, uh, to come up with a podcast for me and, um, just to kind of spur my brain a little bit. And, um, it, it was kind of interesting. I, I had it ask or I asked it specifically, um, 
for to to write 20 topic ideas for a Christian podcast that are both timely and relevant to believers in America today. And um, some of the topics, you know, it comes up with how to pray for our nation, um, how to respond to Roe v. Wade, um, how to stand up for our beliefs in a hostile culture, how to deal with the rise of secularism. I think what it does is Bard is taking what it sees, because I think Bard has instant access to the internet. So it's seeing what Christians are talking about, and then it's compiling a list. And so we're coming up with a list of secularism, raising kids in a Christian home, um, grief and loss, despair, addiction, mental illness, the balance in life, stress, how we've been hurt, anger and bitterness, suffering. Um, and I would say 15 of the 20 topic choices that it came up with were negative connotations. They were um, leaning towards the negative, letting go of bitterness, how to forgive those who've hurt you, how to, to manage stress. Um, I think it, that's kind of a powerful thing. Um, and so I was debating and maybe in a future podcast, I'll go into this, but, you know, looking at the positive and keeping our eyes focused on the positive, um, how can we, um, as Christians, how can we focus on the positive rather than being obsessed with the negative? Um, and so I was kind of thinking I was going to go along that lines of a podcast. And I think that might be my next podcast, but this one. So then I was like, eh, it didn't really feel right. I prayed about it. And I'm, you know, and I didn't really feel like the Holy Spirit was pushing me to go that way. Um, and so then I, I just asked Bart, I was like, Hey, uh, give me, uh, some biblical prophecies that are being fulfilled today. And, uh, and it says, it says body, there are many biblical prophecies that are being fulfilled today. Some of the most obvious ones include, and this is Bard telling me that the most obvious biblical prophecies that are being fulfilled today, number one, the rise of the antichrist. Um, what? How, how is that an obvious one? We don't know when the Antichrist is going to rise. I haven't seen the Antichrist rise. And so why is Bard listing that as number one, the rise of the Antichrist as to biblical prophecies are being fulfilled today. That tells me probably most likely that Christians are talking about this in a way that it's, oh, the, the Antichrist is right, is, arise, is alive right now. That's dangerous for us to be to come to that conclusion because if if we're coming to that conclusion so predominantly that even the AI it's presenting it as though it has been fulfilled, that can be that can be a dangerous place for us as Christians to be in. Um, then it says increase in natural disasters, which that's a good one. Um, spread of false religions and the decline of morality. Those are good ones. I think those are. Um, good. Um, and then, um, you know, I asked it, what are some, you know, biblical prophecies that are, that have been fulfilled in recent times. And, um, and it gave me a, actually a really big list of stuff and, um, not all of them are, um, uh, real. Um, it used, uh, the increase in popularity of alternative medicine as a biblical prophecy that has been fulfilled. And I don't, it, it got weird. I'll just be real with you. It got weird there for a second. But, um, but so that kind of got my brain going a little bit on biblical prophecies and the fulfillment of biblical prophecies. And this is something that I actually, I love talking about. You want to get me going on a conversation and it lasts a few hours. Let's talk about biblical prophecies. Um, right now we're 12 minutes into this podcast, not really, but, uh, I've been recording for 12 minutes. That doesn't mean that we're 12 minutes in the podcast cause I'll delete a lot of this, but, uh, you want to get me talking. So I'm going to have to try to 
reduce what I want to say down to a lower level so that you're not listening to me just drag on and on and on about end-time prophecies. Um, but I kind of wanted to keep it a little uplifting today rather than negative because like I kind of shared about earlier, how do we keep our focus on the positive versus the negative aspect of things? And so to keep it kind of positive, I want to share two conspiracy theories that I've kind of recently either stumbled upon or came up with on my own. So the first one, it's and this is a conspiracy theory. This is not truth. I just want to be very clear on that. Um, the uh, Blue Beam Project. It's a conspiracy theory um, that basically says that our the 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 government, the one world government or whatever that is leading. Um, you know, and I guess I will say, not a conspiracy theory. Biblically, if you believe the Bible is true, then you believe before the end times, that there will be a shadow government that does take over and ushers into uh, ushers the world into an era of a one world government. So that shadow government, whether they are or aren't currently, at some point will exist. So as Christians, I think it's important for us to recognize the Bible does in fact say that a secret, basically a secret government that is ruling things will come out and usher in an era of a one world government. So now where the timeline, where we're at on the timeline of the end times, yeah, it depends on whether or not there is a shadow government currently ruling things. So back to the conspiracy theory, the conspiracy theory, um, is that, uh, the blue beam project um, basically it's, it's coming up with, uh, creating an, an artificial second coming or something like that. I'm not full on board with the, the whole concept of the, the conspiracy theory of the blue beam project. I think it's blown out of proportion to a level that's crazy. However, there's always been this, the argument of, okay, will the rapture be pre-trib mid-trib or post-trib. It's something we've been arguing about as Christians. Denominations disagree. Um, where are we at on the pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib? And so my stance and my beliefs, and so I'm just going to say this is Tanner Sherlock's beliefs. Um, you know, I've, I've always leaned more towards a pre-trib and solely for the reason that I don't believe that God will pour out his judgment upon his believers. And I think tribulation really is kind of that pouring out of God's um, judgment upon the earth. And so I've always kind of leaned towards a pre-trib. However, I do think also because the most of everything is going to be in the last, because the uh, tribulation lasts seven years um, biblically. And, and so the first three and a half years of that tribulation is kind of setting up the second three and a half. And so there's a belief of mid-trib um, rapture in which, um, you know, God pours out his judgment in the second half of the tribulation. And so therefore the, um, the rapture would occur in mid-trib. And even the term rapture isn't a biblical term because there's no, there's no, the, there isn't the word rapture within the Bible. However, there is the, we will meet Jesus in his second coming in that, that scripture. You can Google that, find all the information you want to find on that and read it in 10 seconds. So I'm not going to go into explaining all of that. However, 
I'll go back to pre-mid and post-trib. However, there's, there seems to be scripture that seems to support all three. So it leaves us in this place of, okay, where are we at? It's kind of the, the whole thing of the once saved, always saved, you know, Calvinist and God chose us and, and there's scripture that presents both and it's, it's, they're not contradicting, but they present us this picture. And I think that's, uh, the, the, what God is trying to do is by presenting both sides of the argument, he's trying to prevent us from swinging a pendulum so far one way versus the other way. Um, these depravity versus, uh, but anyway. And so I think with tribulation, we kind of see the same thing. We, we see God kind of being vague in a way, but also very specific. So scripture is, tells us that we shouldn't be obsessed about the end times. We shouldn't be obsessed trying to come up with a date as to when Jesus is going to return. There's no, nobody knows that. And we can't know, and we can't find a biblical code that tells us the exact date of when Jesus is going to return, because that would actually mean Jesus was a liar. Uh, he straight up says, no one, you, you can't know when Jesus is, when Christ's second coming is coming. Um, however, scripture does tell us that as believers, we will begin to recognize signs of the end times. And so I think it is important for us to recognize signs of the end times. Um, and so going back to tribulation. So, um, I've always kind of lead towards the, the pre-trib rather than the mid or the post-trib and mid kind of makes a little bit of sense, but the post-trib for me, makes less sense practically, um, based off of what I believe of God, but not necessarily scripturally. Um, so I've leaned towards pre-trib and, um, one hiccup I've always had about pre-trib, uh, pre-trib rapture is, okay, so if all of the Christians all of a sudden just disappeared, wouldn't the world literally look at that and go, okay, a billion people just disappeared and it just happens to be all of the Christians. Um, so maybe the Bible was true and then a bunch of people will become a Christian based off of that. But we don't see within scripture, the world becoming Christian once the rapture occurs. Um, now new people will be added, but not to the level I think that would, that would happen if all of a sudden all of the Christians just disappeared. So how do I reconcile that with pre-trib theology? Well, the blue bean project comes into play. The idea is that our government or the shadow government, not our government, the shadow government knows that the rapture is coming. And so in order to continue to deceive people, it wants to go about creating a way to blame the rapture on something else. Basically what the blue Bream project will be doing then is creating fake, um, spacecraft cheaply that basically create like projections of, spacecraft. So the way in which they would explain all of the Christians disappearing is as though they were all abducted by aliens. Now, this one's, this conspiracy theory is far out there. However, I love it because, um, it's quirky and I can have a fun conversation about it without it getting too serious. Um, but what if, what if the shadow government is going to blame the rapture on, um, alien abduction and they could then charge it and say, well, the aliens came and they recognized that the Christians were horribly dangerous to the, the future of the earth. And so 
it, they wanted to get rid of. And so they abducted all of the Christians um, in order to try to understand how they were brainwashed or how, you know, they could become so toxic to the growth of humanity or, you know, whatever their reason is that they want to come up with. But presented as though all of the Christians on earth were abducted by aliens. How easy would that be to explain away? And so it kind of, <laughs> it takes a conspiracy theory and it kind of wraps up a little bit of the pre-trib theology as to how all of a sudden all these people could disappear and nobody bats an eye. Well, if they're t- being told that they were abducted, well, that makes it a little bit easier to believe. Um, then uh, my second conspiracy theory um, is even a little more out there and wonky, but, um, so they've been finding, um, soft tissue in dinosaur bones lately. And there was always the belief that soft tissue can't exist over a certain amount of thousands of years. And dinosaurs are far exceeding that, but they've been finding soft tissue. Well, so my second theory comes into play of what if humans and as Christians, there's, a lot of different beliefs on timeline and, and how old the earth is and that kind of stuff. But I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole different can of worms. What I want to get into for this is what if humans and dinosaurs did roam the earth at the same time and humans have been really good about using very big animals for construction projects, right? We have oxen, we have the, the mammoths were used. We have, there's, and honestly, even the mammoths, but elephants and, and all of these big animals, we can basically raise them and train them to do our construction. What if when they built the pyramids, humans and, um, dinosaurs roam the earth together and they use dinosaurs to move the rocks that would shore up a lot of questions about how the pyramids were built allowing them to focus on making sure they fit right more than, um, more than how to transport it. Um, it's a, like I said, it's kind of a quirky way out there, whatever. And I'm not going to say I 100% buy into it, but it is kind of a fun theory. Um, and then there's also the theory of the sand, um, sand movement in order to make the pyramid. So basically they, they put the, the, um, the rock on top of sand and then basically blew out the sand underneath it in order to move it into place. That's kind of a cool theory too, but make it a lot easier if dinosaurs are on the earth. But anyway, those are my two fun conspiracy theories that I wanted to talk about just to make this podcast, uh, a little more lighthearted. Um, and so getting back to in time prophecies in time, um, things that need to be fulfilled before Jesus's second return. Okay. The number one, number one prophecy that needed to, to be fulfilled before Jesus could return was that the human race would have to have the ability to exterminate itself. This hasn't existed until world war two, basically at no point in our previous existence, did humans have the capability of destroying the entire earth. That means that because in Matthew 24, 22, it says, if the time of troubles were not cut short, no living thing could survive, but for the sake of God's chosen, it will be cut short. And so now since 1943 or whatever, uh, well, since a little bit before that, but, um, since the forties, we've had this technology 
of nuclear weapons and now the weaponry i can only imagine how much more advanced it is now than it was back then and luckily we just haven't gotten a chance to see the damage that can be occurred but if a all-out nuclear battle were to take place and or whatever weaponry has been invented since then were to take place the human race could easily easily destroy itself and so that's something that for almost 2000 years wasn't possible to be fulfilled until the last hundred years second thing is the jewish homeland had to be reestablished in the middle east um, that one's from luke 21 talks about um what sign will be there be when these things are about to take place? And in response, Jesus basically says that Jerusalem will be the central focus of the political and military upheavals that would immediately precede his return. And it says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. So basically we need to see, we needed to see um, Israel come back into existence in order for it then to be destroyed. So, um, that's uh, the, the second biblical prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. The third one is that the end time king of the north and the king of the south um, would exist. Um, this one can be fulfilled in our time. Um, basically, this comes from David 8. And it's uh, talking about Persia's later defeat by Alexander the Great, and um, there's, uh, um, it kind of goes into that. I, for the sake of time, I don't know how much I want to get into this one, just because I know the, the podcast's already kind of running long, but um, but basically Daniel 11 is, it's kind of a dynasty conflicts that occur between those two powers, and it refers to the king of the north and the king of the south going to war with each other. Um now, this is kind of a continuation from the time of Alexander um, until the middle of the 2nd century BC. Um, then all of a sudden, the prophecy jumps down to the end times in uh, Daniel 11.40 and says, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. With chariots, horsemen, with many ships, he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. Um, there's so much within this one, um, but basically, it's it's the the stage has to be set. We're starting to see that stage being set as far as the end time part of it. Um, but again, there's a lot to unpack there. But basically, just saying that it it can be fulfilled within our lifetime pretty easily. Um, so another end time prophecy is, uh, European or is the, the union of nations, um, kind of got into that a little bit. Um, really nothing has exact has happened in the past to fulfill that until, um, recently until I think they're saying that it wasn't until, uh, 1981 that this, this prophecy could even be fulfilled. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, then there's the end time rise and fall of Israel and Judah, which, um, basically 
had to be fulfilled after the rise of Britain in the United States in the 19th century and the formation of the Jewish Jewish Israel in the 20th century um, because they basically ushered in the Israel to exist. Um, up until that point, it seemed kind of outlandish that um, Israel could even exist. Um, kind of crazy, right? So then uh, the sixth is that the gospel will be preached in all of the world. That one's kind of interesting because I, I don't know how that could have been fulfilled until recent times because, I mean, at the very least, it wasn't able to be fulfilled until we discovered the new world. Um, so uh, that's one that really couldn't have been fulfilled within the last few hundred years, let alone I think technology today shows us and we're able to actually see where unreached people are um, through communication and studying. And I really don't feel like until recently we could really know when and how all of the world had been reached for the gospel. Um, and then the last one would be an instant worldwide communication and God's final witnesses. This one's kind of a cool one. And part of the reason I blasted through the other ones is because I wanted to focus on this one just a little bit. So this one's a prophecy of Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Basically, Jesus is given an outline of disasters that will occur during the end times. And um, one of the thing that's interesting is that it basically goes in to say that the entire world will watch as the um, as the, the the saints are killed. Um, this is interesting to me because I never really thought about it this way. Um, uh, going into the scripture, it says, uh, and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from those people, from the people, tribe, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days, mimicking the half-trib thing, three and a half days, and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because those two prophets tormented those who dwell on earth." Up until modern advancement of the internet and live TV, it was not possible for the entire world to be able to see their dead bodies during the three and a half days that they're going to be on display. Literally could not be possible. Up until modern technology. Now you could say that maybe not the internet, maybe it was uh, live TV, satellite TV, whatever, that kind of stuff. Yeah, fair. But even still until the last 50 years was not possible. And I would even say, you know, up until modern times where TVs are actually like somewhat affordable for the world. That until recently, this was not possible being fulfilled. So now all of a sudden we have this convergence of these massive end time prophecies that up until the, then we'll just, we'll, we'll be super, liberal with our interpretation of things and say they weren't possible until the 1900s period. So for a thousand nine hundred years after Christ, these things seem so far fetched. How, 
how is Jerusalem or how is Israel going to become a nation again? That seems so far-fetched. The ability of the earth to destroy itself. That seemed so far-fetched. Um, the, uh, honestly, the, the nations being united seemed far-fetched, but that I could see realistically occurring prior to that. Um, but then the ability for the, 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 the world to see all of this, how, you know, back before the 1900s, it was viewed as maybe this wizardry that all of a sudden it would be appeared in the sky or, you know, I don't know. I'm just literally making something up. Don't take my words literally, but it was there. How would you explain that prior to the television, prior to the internet, prior to live TV? How would you explain that the entire world was going to be able to watch the witnesses' dead bodies on the street? How could you explain that? So, like I said, we have this convergence of technology and we have this convergence of, of end-time prophecies being able to be fulfilled on a pretty massive scale. And we're seeing, you know, the Euphrates River dry up and we're starting to see this stuff and it's, it's, hard for us to, to view all that stuff and not go, Hey, we're definitely in the end times, but here's the thing. All of that, I say all of that to say that even still, we don't truly know that we are in the end times. We just see signs. So what do we do with it? What it should do to us as Christians it shouldn't fill us with fear. It shouldn't cause us to obsess with end time prophecies. It's not up to us to discern whether or not we actually are in the literal end times or not. What it should do is it should propel us into a passion and a fervor to share the gospel with those who we love. Because if we believe what we really believe about Jesus... And we believe what we really believe about end time prophecies and knowing the signs. Then rather than letting it propel us into a fear, it should propel us into a fervor, a passion, a joy to share the gospel with those that we love. Those around us, those that have not heard. Because if the times are limited, I mean, think about. Think about how many people you might know that maybe you're the only person on earth praying for them. How many people do you know that maybe you're the only person that they know that's a Christian? I mean, I have a list of people that I pray for and especially some of these students who come, my, my college students who come from non-Christian homes. And I can tell you that I'm probably the only person who is praying for them. That's powerful. And so what does that do to me? <laughs> that helps me to grasp the seriousness of me sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. The, the love of Jesus Christ. The compassion of Jesus Christ. And it helps me to take it seriously.
So, all that to say, end time prophecies. How do we discern? How do we see where we're at in the timeline? Bro, I don't know. I've studied it probably more than the next guy. Um, not the most, obviously, because there's people who study it way more than I have. But I've studied the snot out of end time prophecies, and I can tell you that I don't, I don't really know exactly where we're at. My gut would tell me that we're still another 75 years off. But it's close. And so that propels me into a passion to share the gospel. And so um, to leave you with joy, <laughs> I want to lead you with one more conspiracy theory just for fun. Just for funsies. Just for the fun of it. One more conspiracy theory. So what if the Tower of Babel was not a literal tower in which they were building it up as a Tower of Babel? Or um, a tower to the heavens? Okay. So what if the Tower of Babel was not a literal tower? What if they were starting to get technologically advanced enough to the point where the bricks that it's talking about using instead of stone and tar for mortar and, and building this city with within the, the plain of uh, Shinar, what if their technology was getting so advanced that God spread the continents across the earth so what if there was one continent one you know pangea and the tower of babel comes on and they're building this stuff and they're so technologically advanced what if what they were building were the pyramids they were building these pyramids and then god's like bro all right let's set this thing apart and he spread the continents and then established the world as we know it today in order to spread them so that they would begin to speak different languages. What if it wasn't just a instantaneous, um, you know, boom, everybody's speaking different languages. But what if, what if it was him separating them and scattering them? So it says, so the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world from there. The Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. So what if after he, he, he scrambles, like confused their language, what if he literally separated them by continents? Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a loose conspiracy theory I've been working on, but maybe it would explain why sometimes the old ancient city stuff that we find these towers and these, um, ruins we find seem to be so similar. Maybe they're from before the separation of continents and before the Tower of Babel. And they were technologically advanced to the point where God was like, okay, let's separate these people because there needs to be a little confusion in this because they're too advanced at this point. Um, what if God was like, all right, I'm going to separate them literally continent and through people and that's why maybe some of the towers look so similar on different continents is because at one point they weren't different continents they were actually very similar and very close to each other but anyway maybe you have a little more uh maybe you can flesh out that conspiracy theory a little better than i can um if so shoot me a message um also if you're interested in having a t me cover a topic um shoot me a message and ask and i will try to 
see if I can come up with an entire podcast in order to talk about it. But anyway, that was end time prophecies, conspiracy theories, and uh, joy. <laughs> so I hope as you uh, finish this podcast that um, that you can find the joy in the Lord and find the joy in spreading the gospel and sharing about Jesus rather than viewing the world we live in with fear view it in joy but all right from there um that's all i have to say so be blessed bye